some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, battles all won. He'll shout the victory, break through the blue. Some golden daybreak for me. And you're listening to the Bright Spot Hour Gospel Broadcast, a home mission radio gospel program every day, carrying the gospel into the highways and hedges. The one motive is to make Christ known, to beseech men and women to become reconciled unto God. Now would that you'd pray for us today that the Lord may use us and make this a blessed experience and pray that God may save some man or some woman from their sin, ere the broadcast go off the radio today. This is Harold Seitler speaking. Brother Gene Payne, guest soloist this week. And in a moment, he'll be singing for you a song that'll lift you and bless you. I know. Let the radio dial stay right there for the gospel song in a moment. But first, Mrs. Garrett on the Hammond organ, God's Love. cannot fully tell the love of God, can we, nor explain or understand His wonderful grace. But I'm glad that I've experienced pardon and peace and the grace of God within my heart. I want you to pray with me a prayer of thanks unto God today for His unspeakable gift, the expression of His divine love when He gave Jesus to die on the cross. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, we bless You, we worship You today. We worship you and we love you because you first loved us and made possible our salvation. And we well know that not by any works of righteousness, which we have done, but we well recognize that we're saved wholly by your wonderful grace and that God loved us while we were unlovely and gave his son upon the cross 
for us. And we rejoice in that and bless your name today. And I pray for those that have experienced like precious faith. Encourage all your people and grant that those that are saved shall be faithful as witnesses and as servants of the Lord. We pray for the unsaved. Grant that some man or woman today might seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. I pray for the broadcast. Thank you, Lord, for its open door. And I pray thou wouldest enable us to keep the door open and to continue preaching Jesus until he shall come the second time. Bless the sick ones. Bless the shut-in. Our program goes today into many hospitals and sanatoriums and into many shut-in rooms. God be with those that may need thee in healing strength and healing virtue. Bless the bereaved. Recently, homes have been made sad by the passing and the home-going of a loved one. I pray for that one left behind. Undergird and give grace and comfort, I do ask. Now, Lord, use the programs today and may all the broadcasts be a bright spot hour to many people now listening. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Brother Gene Payne, a favorite old song, Leave It There. from you withhold of its silver and its gold and you have to get along with meager fare just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird take your burden to the Lord and leave it there leave it to the Lord and leave it there if you trust and never doubt he will surely bring you out take your burden to the Lord and leave it there when your youthful days are gone and old age is stealing on and your body bends beneath the weight of care he will never leave you then he'll go with you to the end take your burden to the Lord and leave it there leave
invite you again today to open your Bible with me, if you will, to the Ephesian episode. In chapter 6, and I'm going to speak to you again in verse number 4 on the broadcast in one moment. Now, may I make this announcement? Next Monday, the Lord willing, I'm going to begin a new series in the Philippian episode. Now, two, three weeks ago, uh, five weeks ago now, uh, we were in the Galatian episode, and uh, I'm going to wind down the Ephesian episode this week, the Lord willing. Then coming Monday, we'll begin a new series in the Philippian episode in our, on our daily bright trial program. We're broadcasting the gospel as you enable through your praying and by your giving. The doors are kept open. I hope that you'll be faithful, just as faithful as you may. And in particular, as we come now to the end of the month of March, only a few other days in this month will be history. This has been my 50th anniversary month in the ministry. I have now finished up 50 years of preaching. What a wonderful experience it's been. I've enjoyed every year of it. I've enjoyed every experience of it. I'm thankful if I know my heart that God called me when I was a young man of 25 in 1940 to preach the gospel of a resurrected Savior. And I thank you for all that you've done to enable us to continue the radio into these 48 years. And you do your best now to stand by this particular month, the month of March, and I would appreciate your letter and your support uh, in a very special way. I'd like to remind you that Ephesian tape number number nine is now ready to mail to any of you by the radio. I'm speaking commentary on chapter number six on a one-hour cassette tape. Each message this week, yesterday through Friday. You'll find duplicated on the tape exactly as I wrote them over the radio. Now, if you'd like to have them, they are available. I'd be happy to mail one to you. Simply ask for Ephesian tape number nine. They are $5 per copy. Or you may have all nine in a plastic cassette album with a picture of Tabernacle on the front cover, but you get the $40 to this work of faith. Now, the book of the month that I've been offering during the month of March is by Dr. John Rice, uh, the title, False Doctrines. Here is a 435-page thought-bound book that you can add to your home library and keep for the rest of your lifetime, and I think it can be very useful. It's amazing how many questions I have uh, in the mail to me about various denominations, what they believe, why they believe certain things, and so on. This book is, a, is an encyclopedia, literally, an encyclopedia that will answer many questions about various denominations. There are 14 chapters, and in each one of the chapters, Dr. Rice deals with the particular doctrine of that church, and they are false doctrines, and that's the thing that makes it greatly important. Number one, uh, he deals with the era of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, when you say that, you touch a sore spot. But I submit to you, my friend, that the Mass is unscriptural. The priesthood in a New Testament church is unscriptural. The infallibility of the Pope is unscriptural. The idea of purgatory is not in the Bible. Now you need to know those things. In chapter 2, he points out the error of the Church of Christ, who are the champions of baptismal regeneration, saved by the waters of baptism that is not in the Bible. Chapter 3, the Christian Scientist Movement. Chapter 4, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the Seventh-day Adventists are champions of the idea of soul annihilation, soul sleep, and uh, no eternal hell. They don't believe that there is an eternal hell at all. Uh, eventually the fires of hell will burn out, and all the unsaved people will be consumed in that fire, and there is no eternal punishment. And then they bring also people back under the legalism of the law. Then chapter 5, the modern tongue movement uh, is unscriptural. 
chapter number 7, hypercabinism is unscriptural. Chapter 8, the Jehovah Witness movement. They teach the idea that the grave is hell. They deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then chapter number 11, the Anglo-Saxon theory of British Israelism is totally foreign to the Word of God. Chapter 12, the Mormon Church. They are the Godmakers. They believe that God one time was a good man and finally was elevated to the position of God and that if you'll be a good man, one day you too will become a God totally foreign to the Bible. Then chapter 14, the, the false doctrine of modernism. Southern Baptists are plagued with it nowadays. They're having a great controversy. I say they because I am not a Southern Baptist. I'm an independent Baptist. But Southern Baptists are fighting among themselves or what they call moderates and conservatives. A moderate to them, to me, is a liberal modernist who don't believe the Bible. And somebody don't stand up to them and tell them to get in or get out. A modernist have no, has no right. A man that doesn't believe the Bible has no right to call himself a Christian. He had no right to occupy a pulpit. He had no right to teach on the faculty of a university or seminary. Now, Dr. Rice deals with these things chapter by chapter and gives you information in this book that I don't know where you could match it anywhere in the world. Now, if you have a copy of it, if you'll write to me and ask for the book of the month, send to me the book by Dr. Rice, R-I-C-E. They are $12 per copy. I shall be highly honored to mail one to any of you anywhere across America. Then, I'm offering also this month the most talked about sermon that I have ever preached. I preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons. In 50 years of preaching, you can well imagine. But there's one sermon that stands out different, the most talked about and the most requested of all of them. And it's my sermon on Can God, Can God Furnish a Table in the Wilderness from Psalm 78. Now, this sermon I brought here at, my, at Tabernacle, we reproduced it. We did record it the very as it was being delivered. And the hundreds of copies have gone out on tape, and I have one for you. If you'd like to have this tape with this sermon unedited exactly as I brought it to our people, then I have it for you. You simply say, mail to me the tape on Can God. They are $5 per copy, or you may have three of these tapes for your gift of $10 to this work of faith. Now, my friend, do your best. I need your help. As we close out the month of March, I need a letter from each one of you, my friends, by the radio. My mailing address, the Bright Spot Hour, Post Office Box number 4, and Greenville, South Carolina, 29602. On yesterday I dealt with verses 1, 2, and 3 in the Ephesian Epistle, chapter number 6, where the Bible says through Paul, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it might be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Here is a command with a promise to the children. Now you remember I began noticing uh, the illustrations of submission in verse number 21 of the preceding chapter. Wives, submit yourselves. Then in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Then in verse 1 of chapter 6, children, obey your parents. 
And now today in verse number 4. In verse 4, and ye fathers, a word to the fathers now, and uh, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God can be clearly seen in the attitude of fathers in relation to their family and in relation to their children. In other words, a man filled with the Spirit of God who has children uh, will show that filling and demonstrate that filling with a proper attitude toward his own children. And so Paul said, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but... There's a better way. Now, the wrong way is to constantly provoke your children, constantly abuse your children, constantly threaten your children, and constantly browbeat your children. Provoke not your children to wrath. Now, it's quite possible, I think, for a father to become that abusive until the children become discouraged and they are they are defeated and browbeaten and they don't mature and grow, and they lose their regard and their respect even for their father. That ought not be. And so Paul says, uh, a man filled with the Spirit of God uh, will be forbearing and long-suffering and patient with his own children, lest he provoke them to wrath. But instead of provoking your children to wrath and to discouragement and to defeat, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now what a contrast. On one side, you have trouble. On one side, you have oppression and defeat. While on the other side, you have uh, maturity and growth and steadfastness and, and uh, that which would honor God in the life of a child. It's the responsibility of the father to see that their children, his children, become nurtured and become admonished in the Lord. Now, to admonish is, uh, is quite different from provoking your children to wrath. A child, a father could be so abusive, so domineering, and so uh, so constantly critical until they discourage their children. They provoke their children to wrath and rebellion and disobedience. That ought not be. The line of communication between a father and son or a father and daughter ought never be broken. Regardless of what might, might happen, that communication ought never break down. The child ought freely be able to come to the father and talk. And the father ought to be free to go to the child and talk. A communication. But if the time ever come until the friction becomes so real and keen, until there is no communication between father and child, then you have the provoking to wrath. But on the other hand, uh, we are to nurture now, the nurture, to nurture a child implies caring and responding. A mother nurtures her baby. A husband nurtures his wife and cherishes his wife. And their loving attitudes and loving words and loving deeds between mother and daughter, between mother and child, between husband and wife, and it ought to be that way. And if the day ever come when those Loving moments and loving words and loving deeds are not found between father and, and son or father and daughter. Then to nurture and admonish that child is absolutely impossible. It can't be done. Now, father's responsibility is to nurture and cherish that child, encourage that child. And one of the best ways I know that you can encourage your child is to show concern and care and compassion. If you're cold and steel and bitter 
and critical and hard and abusive, then your child will lose all respect and all responsiveness toward you. And you've lost your own child. And to me, nothing can be greater than for a father to lose his own child. So I repeat with the Apostle Paul, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now in verse number five, you have a word to the servants that are involved. And when there is a man filled with the Spirit, who may have servants, or those working unto him and for him, then that filling of the Spirit in verse number 18 of the preceding chapter will be clearly evident in the relationship between a boss man, so to speak, and a servant or worker. And so Paul said, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the place, uh, and with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto the Lord. Now here is a responsibility that every worker, every servant, now in our day we know nothing about, about slavery. There was a time in our country when there were slave owners and certain class of people were involved in, in slavery. Uh, even the verse would, would, uh, would tend uh, to, to instruct a slave or a servant to that degree. But nowadays, we are, we are servants in a different way, in that we hire ourselves out to a company or to a foreman or to uh, some kind of a, a business, you see. And in that degree, we become a slave, quotation marks. We become a servant, indeed. A, a man working for a company, for example, is not his own. He has to meet a schedule. He has to be on time. He has to go to work. A man that wouldn't go to work uh, will soon lose his job. And rightly so, the company will fire him. They don't want him around. He has to be on time. He has to give a full day's work. If he's guilty of loafing on the job, then he's dishonest. And sooner or later, the company will discharge him and get rid of him if he, if he loafs on the job and steals from his boss man by not working a full day's work. You'd be surprised how many people who call themselves Christians are thieves of time. They get paid for eight hours, but they loaf maybe two or three hours a day. They talk or they, uh, they uh, uh, just do nothing, stand around, do nothing. They avoid work. They are supposed to give eight hours. They get paid for eight hours, but they don't do eight hours work. You might just as well rob a bank. You're a thief. You're not to do that. Servants, you are to obey them that are your masters according to the place. And you are to obey them in the fear of God. You are to obey them trembling. You are to obey them in singleness of your heart. You are to give undivided loyalty to the company you may work for or the boss man that hires you out. You are to give him undivided loyalty. And uh, that is part of your responsibility as a good worker. Now, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you'll do that. I could not imagine a man filled with the Spirit of God who wouldn't work, who wouldn't be on time, and who would loaf on the job. I can't conceive of that. A man that will do that is as dishonest as he can be. And if he's a dishonest man, then I can only conclude that he knows nothing about 
the infilling of the power of God's Spirit that I read about in verse 18 of chapter number 5. So servants, obey your, parents, your, your, your masters. And then in verse 6, Paul goes on to say, Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but with singleness of heart, with eagerness of heart, but as servants of God, doing the will of God from the heart, we are to do that. And with great, with, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not only as to men. We'll be loyal workers, faithful workers to the man or to the company that we are hired out to. What a practical word of exhortation Paul gives in these verses to the servants who may work for another company. <laughs>